So would you turn with me to James chapter 1? We're going to continue on in James. We took a break for a few weeks. I was gone, and last week we looked at another subject, but this morning we're back in James chapter 1. And would you look with me at verse 18? I'll read there in just a minute. If you're, if you're new and you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one of the black Bibles that are in one of the rows in front of you, one of the chairs in front of you, and you could find it on page 1011 in the thick Bible or 950 in the thinner Bible. There's two different versions of those black Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one and keep it and use it, make it your own. It would be a blessing to us to give that to you. So now, may God work in us through his word this morning. I was at the birth of each one of my five children. And I want to be honest, for the first few minutes, they didn't look anything like mom and dad. After they were cleaned up a little, in their new infant jammies, we knew they were our children. They were our offspring. And in the years to come, This new life that came from the hospital and from our union together, they took on the resemblance of mom and dad. Some speech patterns and character. I could walk through Walmart when my young boys were little and I would get comments like, we know who belongs to you or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. My parents are here this weekend and some of you have mentioned to me, boy, Does your mom and you look alike? Sorry, mom. (laughs) James says, if you're a Christian, it's because the father is your daddy. Because he brought you forth from his own seed, per se. You were formed to be like him. He made you and gave you life, and that life is meant to take on a type of formation that you would resemble the Father so that others would look and say, we know who her father is. We know who his father is. It is God. If you're a Christian, it's because something happened to you. And because it has happened to you and you responded by believing a message that changes your life, that Jesus is king, he died on the cross, and you want to follow him, a new life is formed in you. And James is concerned, this letter that I'm reading to you, we're studying together, is concerned that we examine ourselves to see if it really has happened to us and if we're really growing and being formed into God's image. And last time we were together, that was actually May 30th, we began looking at this passage, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, and we saw that there's the foundation of new life in verse 18, and then he moves on to the formation of that foundation, of that new life of a Christian, and then the examination. So will you look with me at this passage? Look at verse 18. We are going to read to the end of the chapter. We start by seeing the foundation. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's the gospel. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And now we see the foundation or the formation of that new life. 
He says, know this, my beloved brothers, my siblings in the Lord. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And this is a word to all of us. You sitting right now in your seat, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks in to the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. Here's now the examination of the new life. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of God. Friends, if you are a Christian, it's because God gave you spiritual life. And in verse 18, we see the foundation of the new life. Christians are created by the word of God, and namely the gospel. God is the author, and God's word, specifically the message of the good news called the word of life, comes and changes you and gives you something you never had before, and you believe and you receive him, and it starts to change you. The gospel changes lives. The gospel is the message that there is a God who is infinitely glorious and he made us for his glory. He made us to love and enjoy him and follow him and be satisfied in him and him alone. And the story of Genesis 3 and beyond is that we have rebelled like our father and mother, Adam and Eve, and we ran after our own way. We went after our own devices. We do not depend on him every moment. We do not desire to glorify him, and we want to be the ruler of our own lives, and it is a big deal, and God will not allow that rebellion to continue forever, and he will judge sin and sinners because he is righteous and holy and pure and loving, and mercy, and slow to mercy. And God in his wisdom sent his son, who is God, to come into the world to die, live a perfect life, die on the cross, be raised from the dead, and grant forgiveness, adoption into God's family, and everlasting goodness and joy. And in this life, a commitment to watch over us and to work all things for our good forever for everyone who surrenders themselves and says, I turn from my sin and I accept your free gift. I could never pay for it. I need you. Help me. I look to you and I receive you, Jesus. 
That is the foundation of our new life. It is free, it transforms, it's from God, it's rooted in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that the four who are going to get baptized are going to declare that has changed them, and it is awesome, and I hope you have it. And if you don't, I invite you to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he will save you and he will start to change you and you need to get baptized. By the way, we're going to have baptisms two weeks from now because there's at least three others that are going to get baptized. And if you need to, talk with me or one of the pastors here. We would love to talk with you and hopefully baptize you. But not only does this passage say there is a foundation, that foundation is seen in verse 18, he brought us forth by his will. There is a formation, and we started to see that one month ago when we were in this passage. That formation is, it's all rooted in God's Word. It is God's Word. That's why we value Sunday morning preaching. A big part of our time is sitting in front of a sermon, and it's not just my opinions or my stories. It's this book, and we go through it, and I tell you to turn there, and we're going to walk through it, and we're going to say, what does God's Word have to say? Because when we do that and look intently, God starts to shape and change in our hearts something anew, and we pray that God will do that. In these verses, 19 through 25, we see this formation. Look at, look, just glance at it with me for just a minute. Look at verse 18. We just saw He brought us forth. By his word, the word of truth. In verse 19, he says, be quick to hear or to listen. And the question really should be, listen to what? I think he means, among other things, listen to God's word. Be attentive. Verse 21, receive with meekness. And what does he say we are to receive with meekness? If you look there, you see the implanted word. Look at verse 22. Be doers, and doers of what? Of the word, not just. And look at verse 25. The one who looks at something and perseveres as a doer. And the question would be, what does he look at? Well, in this verse 25, he says, the perfect law, the law of liberty. And the law of liberty is comes from God's word. Friends, we need to listen and we need to accept and we need to apply God's word is what James is saying. True Christians, you who are getting baptized, Jim and Carissa and Mary and Levi, you who have been baptized, your call is to always be listening to the word and accepting the word and applying and do the word this passage says. You, you listen to it, and not only listen to it, but agree and say, it needs to change me. It's going to form me. We are to let the, I said this a month ago, the glorious monotony of Sunday after Sunday, of putting ourselves before this word, Wednesday after Wednesday, Sunday school, morning after morning, reading God's word, to let it impact us and ask God to change us and to be a doer of God's word. We need to accept it. And he says, receive it with a type of meekness that says, God, when you correct me, I'm going to obey. God, if you need to change my former perceptions of how truth is, change it. Let this book change it. 
And God, would you please do that in all things? We have some audiobook going on. Let's go. We need to listen to God's word, brothers. We need to use audiobooks, audio Bibles. That was intentional. If we believe God's over all things, he's... As we pause here, I, I, I redirect you to think in this way. God's word, if we are going to grow as a Christian, and you are called, if you're saved, you're called to grow. And in called to grow, you're called to let this word master you day in, day out to say, no, not your will, God's will. And we say God's will with a type of, Joy and faith because we go, God, you're good. We just sang in that first song, God is good, God is good. We look into the, the perfect law, the law of liberty. We look at God's law and we realize every command, every precept, every promise, every description of God's ways and character is meant for us to woo, is meant to woo our hearts to say, you're better than all the luring things that are out here. Anything that would compete to you is nothing compared to the goodness of God. When you tell me to not do something that I want to do anyways, I have to believe that you're actually telling me something that is for my good, and I'm just maybe too foolish to understand at the moment. God, thank you, because you love me and you care for me. This passage, James, is concerned that we are formed by and changed by God's word. You see, God's word does not flatter us. It forms us and corrects us. God's word is authority that is to be obeyed. And we should expect that it will correct us time and time again. Now, this passage then introduces us to a concept. He says, Christian or professing Christian... It is possible for you to be a fake Christian and to actually be deceived and think that you are a Christian when you're not. And I think that could also be true here every Sunday. There are some that come in here and they think they're Christian, but they are self-deceived. James knows that's the case even in, to the church he's writing back in the first century and us to today. And it would, in God's good kindness, for us to be receive certain tests and say, oh, I am a Christian, praise God, help me to keep growing, or maybe I'm not, but I want to be. God, thank you. God, I was, I've been missing something all along. Oh, God, open my eyes. You see, in this passage, it says here, a person, look at verse 25. No, I'm verse 22. Be, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, warts and all, dirty, no makeup, whatever it is, and he looks at it and he or she just turns away and doesn't do a thing about it. For he himself... For he looks at himself, he goes away and he forgets what he was like, but the one who looks in the perfect law, that's the word of God, 
the law of liberty, the law that brings freedom and perseveres. He just, he looks and he doesn't stop looking. He looks intently. He peers at it. He leans down, stoops, and looks at what is God's word saying. And that's what we're going to do this morning. That's what we're doing right now. What does God's word say? The one, the one who never says a lie, who cares for me, who made my soul, who it is a perfect law and it is a law that leads to freedom. He says, he brings life. You see, self-deception is a possibility. Are you self-deceived? And do you know that that's even a possibility? Do you think that because you read the Bible, you're, grow, you're growing in godliness? You could be just moving a bookmark. Do you think that because you pray to prayer and pray regularly, every once in a while you pray at meals, that you have the new life in God? You know, it's possible to be faithfully going to church, even giving regularly, having been baptized, doing all these outside religious things and be fake and self-deceived. We take in the Bible, but we don't let the Bible take over us. We say we believe, but it doesn't change our behavior. And he says, look into the perfect law and persevere and don't be a hearer only, but do what and act what God tells you to do. If so, you are blessed in your doing. And oh, I pray that God will help us to grow in that. Young, young people and old people, those that are getting baptized today and those who have been baptized, those who are here needing to grow in the Lord, and that's each one of us, let us stoop closely attentive. He says those that don't, they're deceiving themselves. They're one that are a mess. They look into a mirror and turn away. It, they are like those who think that they're a, strong, they're a Christian and continually look at God's word, maybe even read it, go to church, but ignore what it says. They're as good as the person who watches YouTube videos on exercise, high-intensity workouts, all these 30-minute killer workouts, and goes away and says, I'm a workout buff because I've watched all of the YouTube videos while I ate potato chips. He says, you're deceiving yourself if you think that you have it. Self if you love to listen to sermons, but you're no different that next week, you might be self-deceived. If you say you love Jesus, but you don't love sermons, you don't love God's word, you're self-deceived. If you're convicted, maybe on a Sunday morning, of feeling bad about your sin, but you go and you just let pornography or Greed or gossip just control the rest of your week. You're being self-deceived. If you're moved by love for one another while you sit in this room but aren't willing to sacrifice and take time for the needs of others this week and be committed to them actively and prioritize their needs, you might be self-deceived. Self-deception is so deadly because the problem is we don't know we're deceived. We think we're okay. And that's why James gives us this letter. Now, he gives this letter and he finishes, or we finish this chapter, verses 26 and 7, which I think what James does is he's saying, okay, I'm going to end this section a little bit by helping you do a little examination and I want you to take three tests. I've already said that if you're saved, it's because the word of God saved you. 
And if you're saved, the word of God's starting to form you, and you're going to be a hearer and a doer of God's word. And if you're a doer of God's word, well, let's test it out in three ways. Let's test it out in three ways. And that's where we get in 26, the examination of our new life. He says this. If, look, at, look with me at verse 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You have a worthless religion if you don't control your tongue. It's, it's a waste of time. Verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit, to care for orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And in these two verses, we see the word religious or religion pop up three times. It's a rare word. It's barely ever used in the Bible. It refers to an outward show of worship or devotion. It's not a bad word. It's not bad. We should want, in this sense, want to do things that are religious. We should want to gather on Sundays and show, we should praise God and sing like we were singing. We should want to do that. We should want to give to one another, do things outwardly. We should want to pray. All these outward religious signs. We should want to be part of a church and be committed to each other and do all these kinds of things. But he says this. He says, there's a way in which you could say and do these outward forms and you're actually missing the heart of it all. And in reality, all those outward forms are, are a waste of time and worthless because you don't have the real thing going on inside. He says, here is what the Father views as real. This is what will make you resemble the Father if you've been born by the Father, this is what will make you resemble. Here's a paternity test, spiritually. Three tests to see if you're God's children. Number one, a true child of God is growing, a true Christian is growing in the control of his or her words. See that in verse 26? If anyone thinks he's religious, I'm going to add, if anyone thinks he's a new, has the new life in him, in Jesus Christ as a disciple... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Each one of us should ask the question, do I control my speech in such a way that shows that my faith is in my heavenly Father, whose speech is always life-giving? He's going to say, a mark of a true Christian, a mark of a disciple. We need to be marked by people that he calls bridles our tongue. Bridles our tongue. The tongue is the passage that we use our words. It's what you say and really the heart behind what you say. Do you realize that we speak eight, 18 to 25,000 words a day? That's a tremendous amount of words. We, we create, we, some have, put, have calculated that we probably put together a 54-page book every day of our words you will, if you're a normal person, spend one-fifth of your life talking. And the Bible says words are important. The, he, we're going to see this in a couple months or in a month or so. James 3. Uh, look, if you, if you look to James 3, you're going to see where he says about the tongue. And the tongue is a fire. How? 
The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every beast of the bird, the reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord, the Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Friends, we should take the test this morning and say, how, I ask you, how are you doing with your words? Do your words reflect that God has done something in you and to you? The God who always speaks the truth and whose words are life-giving to you, are you reflecting that you're like him or like the liar, the other Satan who is a liar and a deceiver from the beginning. Oh, you see, our words are powerful. Friends, consider your salvation and new birth. Because of God's powerful word, he gave you life. And because God's powerful word gave you life, you are to imitate to your Children and to your spouse and to your friend and to your coworker and to your enemies and to your friends and to your neighbors and to your fellow church people. It's been and through Facebook and social media, through the different ways in which you communicate, your words are meant to bring life. See, the reality though is, he says, if you're fake, if your words aren't bridled, and bridling is at least two things. It's not just put a muzzle on it, and you just don't say much. That, that's not what a bridling something is. It means controlling it so you don't use your words in destructive or ways that displease God and aren't loving to others and positively directing our words in order that we might bring life and grace and encouragement Our lives are not just meant to be, so how did you do with your words this week? I didn't say anything bad. It's more than that. Did you say something good? Did you use your words for life and for goodness? We are to use our words, words that build up, words that speak the gospel and the truth to one another, words that encourage and words that thank, words that praise And not words that are filthy or gossiping or cursing or grumbling or complaining or unthankful or full of of a mean or unloving sarcasm or criticism. God has called us to use our words. And here's the hardest thing about that, and it gets to the root of it. Our words are fruit, not root. Our words come from our heart. We say mean things because we got a mean heart too often. We, we complain too often because our heart doesn't just love the goodness of God at that moment and trust that he's in charge, and so we grumble. We lash out at people because our heart isn't controlled by a love for God in so much that we want others to know this God, and so we're willing to love them even when they treat us bad. You see, and he says... It reveals whether you're real, if God's influence is really taking root in your life, if your tongue is getting bridled. Did anyone ever control their words 
like Jesus. Never. Words like, Father, forgive them. Words that were tender to the most sinful and dejected. Come, believe on me and I will give you eternal life. I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. Words to correct, words to grow. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, a test number one, how are we doing with our words? Does it reveal that the Father really has made a new impact in our lives? The second is, number two, a true Christian is growing in his or her active care for the most helpless. Verse 27, you want to know what religion that is pure and undefiled before God is? Is to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions. He's going to say, there are far too many Christians who say, and they could pass a lot of Christian tests. They can go to church a lot, and they can do all these things, but if they have no care for those around them, and especially those that are the most poor and needy and helpless, those who could never pay them back, and they have no compassion and love towards them, don't consider yourself a Christian. True religion, true faith in God, works itself out in Christian love. By this you shall know that they are my disciples if they have love to one another and to have love for those that are, are the most needy. James is going to see this. We're going to see this in the coming month. In James chapter 2, he's going to say, what good is it? In this case, he says, visit, they visit the orphans and the widows. And I think James is choosing that to say, the orphan and widow in our society are the most helpful, helpless people they are destitute in a society where they had no social security, no infrastructure that would take care of those who are desperate other than family members. And if they don't have any family members, they're, they're dead. And he says, but not for those that name the name of Jesus Christ. Not for those who have been marked by the Father. Because they know things like Psalm 68 says he's the father of the fatherless. He cares for the widow. He rescues the outcast and brings them in and so do his children. Friends, we must be marked by people that care about those that are in need around us. Those who are the most ostracized, it might be the elderly, the single, the poor, the single mom, the widow, the foreigner, immigrant, those who will never pay us back, or at least we can't imagine that, because we don't do it for them, we do it because we love. Here's the key, this is why we do it. There was no one more helpless than myself before God rescued me. I was naked dead to my, in my sins, clothe, clothless and without any spiritual shelter from the storm that was going to come against me in the wrath of God. And God made me alive, this helpless sinner. He's the father of the helpless, like me. How can I not be that to those around me in little and obvious practical ways? You are showed Amazing grace through Jesus Christ, and we must show it to the world.
God is the one who watches over the sojourner. This, this is meant to be practical. This is meant, we, we must look at our neighbors and see what their needs are. We must look at our neighbors in this room and see those that are in need and we need to care for them and watch over them and love them and practically care for them. We must take care of our family members and those that are not our family members. We do that collectively and individually. We do that when nobody's watching and we do that collectively through things like the Grace Fund. The gospel is a gospel of loving hospitality that brings in those that are in need. The gospel, as one writer says, comes with a house key and welcomes people into our lives, into our homes, into our families, and says, that's exactly what God did for me. That's true religion. Don't say you're a Christian and ignore the desperate around you. The last test he gives is he says, and it's not enough to just say, oh, I'm just a charitable person, but boy, I have a rotten mouth and I have a rotten mind and a rotten heart and all the things of this world are surrounding me and sucking me in. No, he says, a true religion is marked, true Christianity, true faith, the new life is marked by those that they are distinct from the world. They're growing in the distinctiveness from the world. Yes, they, they love the people of this world. They love some of the possessions of this world, but those things do not have a possession over their hearts because God does. They view the world as not the most important thing, but the world to come is the most important thing. And because of that, they care about the people in this world. The world around them is wanting to draw them away to themselves and their own flesh and desires. And instead, they realize that all those things are passing away, but to keep unstained to himself. We are his first fruits, verse 18 says. He saved us to be his first fruits so that God in the world will take us Christians. Just us. Imagine, why would he do that for us? We don't deserve it. That he would present us to the world and say, look at these believers. I picked them up and I made them from nothing. They're weak and in their own frailness, I brought them in and look at, they're my first fruits. Look at, I'm faithful to my promises. I change people. These would be the least likely people to be loving to widows and orphans and helpless people. You couldn't imagine a person who couldn't control his tongue so well, but now they can. Look at, they're my first fruits. Look at what I can do. They're a picture of the miracle that's in action in the lives of others. That's God's plan. For us to be unstained from the world means that we ask the question, do I relate to this world in such a way that demonstrates that Jesus has my heart and not the things in this world. Jesus says, you're the light of the world and the salt. That means you need to be distinct from the world. The world needs you to be this way. The world needs you to be different, not in any mean, weird, unnecessarily strange way, but it does need you to be distinct. The world says that your money is yours. God says your money is mine. God's money is mine and it is your neighbors to show generosity. The world says that popular culture in the world is fun. God says you must be really careful because the culture is foolish and it is against God. Our drinking and eating must be to the glory of God. Our speaking must be like God and not the world. Our values must be so different that people go, who are these strange people, but I like them. 
because they're loving and they're not about themselves. They're about something bigger and better and they want me to be part of it. You might be sitting there and saying, I, I'm struggling because I think I'm failing all three of these tests far too often. And the reality is we're going to all find ourselves failing these tests far too often. Oh, I'm, I'm not controlling my tongue. I need to do a lot better job of being intentional and thoughtful and careful for those that are around me that are in need. And I, I'm getting sucked into the world far too often. I guess, am I a Christian? I guess it all depends on how this passage is impacting you and does impact us. Do your desires move towards conviction and a desire to obey God's word? Or does it just to reject it and say, no, I don't, that's not for me. If you say, I'm convicted, God forgive me, God help me, God, you are all that there is. God, this is your way. This is the perfect law, the law of liberty. It sets me free as I follow you your way follows me free to free. You need to realize, are you, I asked you the question this, this morning, are you really God's child? Are you starting to resemble him with your words, with your love, and your purity? God's word is meant to warn us and confront us. What is our response? Well, children of God listen to their father, God, and they go, thank you for that discipline. I get on my knees and help me to grow in the strength that you provide. And help me to grow in the grace of our Lord. All of this is rooted in God's grace. This week, God intends for you to be different this afternoon and tomorrow. He intends for you to have different lives with your words, your care for others, and your relationship with the world, all rooted in his grace, not your performance to earn God's favor. God loves you, not because you're good. He loves you in order to make you good. For the grace of God has appeared, Paul said to Titus, bringing salvation for all people to renounce ungodliness and worldly desires and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age as we wait our for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, people who are zealous for good works. Amen.